The FCPA Compliance Report is the longest-running podcast in compliance, engaging a wide variety of compliance-related guests and topics. Each week, Tom Fox brings you the top commentators and information which will inform your compliance program going forward. Join us again for the top podcast in compliance, hosted by the voice of compliance, Tom Fox. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to a special five-part series on the Airbus International Anti-Corruption Enforcement Action. Over the next five episodes, we're going to take a look at the Airbus Enforcement Action from a variety of perspectives. Jay Rosen is going to open up the five-part series and talk to us about the FCPA perspective and set the background. We then jump across the pond to Jonathan Armstrong to take a look at the UK SFO BPA around Airbus. Mike Volkoff considers trade sanctions and the ITAR angle. Cecilia Luz-Genkel talks to us about the French enforcement perspective and the perspective of the French compliance practitioner. And I'm going to end this week by some final reflections on what the Airbus case means for the compliance professional and for international anti-corruption investigations and enforcement going forward. I know you'll enjoy this series. Mike Volkoff, what did you see from the trade sanction slash ITAR perspective in this matter? Well, this was an uh, interesting case, Tom, because uh, one sort of initial observation is uh, this is the few times we've seen the Justice Department focus on FCPA and export control violations. So like last year, for example, Quad Graphics earned a declination for FCPA and OFAC violations. And if we go back in time, there are two major cases uh, that you're well familiar with. In 2013, Weatherford settled FCPA and export control violations for $252 million. And then if you even go back further to 2011, BAE Systems, although they pled to making a false statement and paid $400 million, it was uh, the underlying conduct was bribery and ITAR violations. So let's add Airbus to this uh, glorious list of global bribery and substantial uh, ITAR violations. Um, but when you look at the sort of systemic ITAR violations in this case uh, that Airbus engaged in, it really just underscores the complete absence of any commitment, any real commitment to compliance and controls. And to me, it always, when I look at a company of this size, knowing the risks that they have, regulatory risks that they have, how they could just blatantly ignore ITAR restrictions and reporting requirements in the defense industry in which they're a part of is, is beyond, uh, it's beyond comprehension. I mean, it, what it says to you is that this control, the, this culture was not, uh, they didn't even attempt to make it into a culture of compliance and ethics. Uh, it was a, it was a culture that was dedicated to making money and doing so without getting any compliance issues in the way. So let's start just for a little bit, and I know everybody is familiar with sort of the ITAR legal background, but just a couple comments. You have the Arms Control Export Act, which authorizes the president to control 
export of defense articles and defense services, and an executive order that delegated all this authority to the State Department's Directorate of Defense Trade Controls, or DTC, I use for short. So they issue licenses for exports and retransfer of defense articles and services. Uh, and there's a, uh, there's a sort of central listing of these types of uh, articles and services called the United States Munitions List. And the, D the DTC promulgated the famous regulations, ITAR, International Trafficking in Arms. So with that background, Airbus definitely designed, manufacture, and sold products containing defense articles. Now, they weren't manufacturing in the United States, but they were uh, uh, exporting from the United States items or parts or components that were then included in the manufacturing. of. And uh, the DTC basically issues licenses for export, exports and transfer of defense articles and services based on a list a master list called the United States Munitions List, and the DTC promulgated the famous International Trafficking in Arms, or ITAR, regulations. Airbus uh, absolutely designed, manufactured, and sold products containing defense articles and furnished uh, defense services. Now, they didn't manufacture in the United States, but what they did is export components uh, that were uh, used in the manufacturing of airplanes and helicopters. Now, most of their activity uh, relative to ITAR related to Airbus Defense and Space and Helicopters Division. So uh, there are basically three categories of violations that we saw. Um, I'm going to spend most of my time talking about two. Uh, one was paying political contribution. They had to report political contributions, commissions, and fees when they sell ITAR-controlled defense articles. So in their license applications, they would have to um, disclose those fee payments. Uh, and a failure to report those payments uh, is required under ITAR. It can be a civil, it's a civil or criminal. And Airbus uh, was required to report whether it or a third party paid political contributions of 5000 or more or commissions or fees of 100000 or more. And here's where we see the crossover of the third-party business partners and the failure to control them, because many were operating in prohibited countries under ITAR regulations, and others failed to register and secure licenses, and uh, Airbus itself was not uh, disclosing any sort of commissions that were paid through uh, to the third parties. Um, the other thing is that Airbus was aware of these ITAR requirements. There's plenty of um, evidence to show that. Uh, they knew that they had a large number of third parties, uh, and they engaged in sort of deliberate efforts to conceal uh, their involvement in certain uh, transactions. Now, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the big things that they cited here was the sort of silo between uh, legal and compliance, and the Airbus's business operations. And apparently, um, they did not cross over very well or coordinate uh, very well uh, during this time period. Now, the interesting thing is that DOJ, uh, I mean, DOJ cited the fact that for uh, Airbus uh, voluntarily disclosed all of the ITAR problems once they discovered them, and that occurred in uh, 2016. And so they started to submit 
detailed uh, voluntary disclosures as they, un, you know, uncovered uh, the nature of all of these um, violations. And the two biggest, um, the two biggest here were, uh, like I said, the failure to report the commissions uh, and fees, and then also um, the large number of third parties who failed to get uh, broker's licenses uh, as well. And that's where your large third party population had DTC known about it. Uh, they may have uh, forced Airbus to um, restrict the use of third parties or delve deeper into it. So it's interesting that that happened. But I have to recount one story, which is just uh, amazing within, you know, uh, the compliance department and it, it, that we had such a dysfunctional uh, relationship. In July of 2015, Airbus's new general counsel identified ITAR compliance issues relating to uh, the reporting. And the new general counsel uh, and the, you know, sought to get insight and information from the compliance staff. And a senior compliance executive resisted efforts to you know, change Airbus's existing compliance procedures and claimed that Airbus was conducting proper due diligence of its third parties, which it wasn't, making proper disclosures of political contributions, commissions, and fees, which it wasn't, and reviewing each application to ensure accurate representations as to such payments, which they weren't. And the Airbus senior uh, export compliance management, along with the compliance officer, basically um, lied to the new general counsel and said that there are no problems here um, and uh, that, you know, we're in full compliance and there's no need to go back uh, and review this. And to me, this is, you know, if you can't take the word within your own legal and compliance department, if you can't get an honest answer as to anything, um, what do you think this shows you as to the culture within even the compliance department? It was not just the senior compliance executive, but it was also the, the whole compliance management team uh, engaged in these false representations or allowed it to, to happen with the new general counsel who was trying to do his or her job. So to me, uh, we had such a breakdown in this case, Tom, in terms of basic controls uh, and, uh, and basic issues that it's just... Uh, you know, they they got off pretty well in the sense that, you know, they ended up paying in the 200 million or so range uh, for, and had they not voluntarily disclosed this conduct, it could have been much worse. Um, but for such a sophisticated company like Airbus to uh, that operates day-to-day -day in the ITAR regulatory scheme to miss or ignore this problem for such an extent uh, is really just uh, surprising beyond belief. So um, in the end, we'll see how well they turn it around. Mike, one of the things that struck me about one of your blog posts was that you used the phrase that uh, if Airbus had taken certain actions, their problems may not have spiraled out of control. And that really got me thinking because one of the things compliance practitioners, I think, are struggling with is this case is so massive. The corruption was so pervasive. They're having trouble understanding or garnering 
true lessons that they can learn and incorporate into your com- their corporate compliance program. And and that phrase that you used in that blog post um, entitled Systemic Bribery and Export Violations, it was part four of four, you really, I thought, uh, explained that it didn't start out completely out of control. It started small. And that's why you have to have robust monitoring going forward. Um, it did spiral out of control at the end, but it didn't start that way. And that's, I think, a key lesson from the, some of these incredibly major compliance uh, corruption scandals. Yeah, and Tom, I always uh, you know, go back, and I think I wrote this too, when you look at a major enforcement case, where was the board? Where was senior management? I mean, I don't blame it entirely on them, but uh, you know, there's definitely a dynamic here that occurs when you have an absent board, absent senior management, in uh, a culture that just starts to permeate the company, you know, how can you ever uh, acknowledge and, you know, permit to continue a compliance department that isn't, in, uh, you know, doing its job? I mean, we always assume that compliance people are and legal people are always trying to do the right thing. But what happens when they get co-opted? into the culture of, you know, ignorance and um, allowing, you know, promoting the business at all costs. Um, I, and, and I sort of, let's take another step back, and I know you've written and spoken a lot about Boeing, but here we have the two major companies in the aviation industry, critical to the world's economy, right? And I, I mean, there's, and even go back to Embraer, you know, the the extent of just uh, corruption and failure to maintain a culture of compliance at these uh, companies is just incredible to me. I mean, this makes the oil and gas industry look like the, you know, the, the sweetheart best person in the room because this industry is just uh, having more and more trouble and, you know, Boeing obviously is not about bribery, but it's a culture of just ignorance. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you have enjoyed this first episode of our special five-part series on the Airbus International Anti-Corruption Enforcement Action. I hope you'll join us again tomorrow where we bounce back across the pond to visit with compliance specialist Cecilia faluz Ginkel about the French compliance practitioner perspective on the French portion of the Airbus International Anti-Corruption Settlement. This special production of the FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network, and we're proud to be a member of C-Suite Radio going forward. Please join us again tomorrow for our next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.